0: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the cycle podcast. Happy summer. I hope everybody is feeling okay. On today's episode, I speak with Jenna, who's very well known in the endometriosis community. I'm so grateful to have her as a guest. We chat about her endometriosis story, all of the advocacy work she does. And we also talk about her new therapeutic guided journal, part of you, not all of you, which I'm so excited that I've started to use. Listen in to today's show and please let me know what you think. Thank you again so much for being here. And thank you so much to Jenna for sharing your story on today's episode. hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the cycle podcast i'm actually really excited for today's guest someone i definitely look up to in the endo community and just chronic illness community someone who's helped so many people and just very very grateful to have her on today so on today's show i have jenna jenna thank you so much for being here now there's a lot of things that i want to say about jenna before i even allow her to speak but she's an endo warrior She's a chronic illness advocate, also a registered nurse, um, founded a nonprofit, the Endometriosis Coalition, um, or EndoCo, as some of you may know it. Um, Recently, Jenna's advocacy work has been featured on Good Morning America, The New York Times, discussing subjects such as medical gaslighting and misdiagnosis, which many of us who are listening know very much about. And we are going to talk about a lot of things today, but I'm very excited for the people who are listening. You can't see, but for the people who watch the YouTube video, shameless plug, we are going to talk about her book, which I is incredible. We're going to get into that. So, which is called part of you, not all of you. And it's currently number one release in endometriosis. So, you know, no big deal. We have like a full celebrity on the show. And then last but definitely not least and there's probably so much more um this may so there is a release of a documentary film called below the belt that is coming out and Jenna is featured as the main narrator of this title. So there is a red carpet premiere coming up on May 24th at the MoMA in New York. And then there will be screenings in Europe and the US coming up and I believe virtual screenings. So that is the longest introduction I've ever done. Jenna, thank you for just being here, being willing to speak with us, but for all you've done for so many people, it's really incredible. Thank you for being here. Why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself. Besides all of these amazing things. Uh, Thank you for that intro. That
1: was quite the intro. Um, So yes, I am originally from New Jersey. I grew up in South Jersey, went to college in Philadelphia. So the East coast is kind of like my first love and home. Uh, But I made it out to Los Angeles in 2011. So I've been here a little over a decade. Um, I have an incredible husband, a really cute cat, and we just love all things LA and California.
0: I'm sure. So you're saying that you don't miss winter. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get on this program with you. I, great program. <laughs> that, that's lovely. And so, yeah, you're in LA, you said for over a decade now. So that's really nice. Yeah, um, it's officially home now, I think I could say. But I yeah. feel like I need to give the disclaimer that I'm from the East coast because like, that's just, it's still in me, you know? So then when I told you, like when we were talking about times, you probably already have it programmed. Sometimes I feel like when I'm talking to people in Pacific time, they're like, Oh, like, I'll be like, well, you <laughs> want to meet at three, which is like six o'clock my time. And they're like, Oh yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. You know, the Eastern time zone probably oh, absolutely. well. Yeah.
1: Our families just decided not to learn it. So we have to be the ones to make sure that we're all on the same page. So.
0: <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the East coast and the West. I mean, I love all the coasts. So, um, well typically on the show, we really talk, we have, I feel like we have so many things to dig into, but I really like to just hear about endometriosis, the show we, we really cater to people who have endo. Um, I know you have several chronic illnesses that we're going to talk about, but how, how did this like, journey start for you? What was going on? Obviously you probably weren't feeling well. So just tell us a little bit of like the beginning and, and how things started off. Sure.
1: So I think my story is just a little different from a lot of sufferers in that, like, I always had very easy, normal periods as a teen, even in early adulthood, completely healthy, normal life. I get some migraines here and there, but that was the only real like health issue that I struggled with. Um, and then one day when I was 26, driving to work, had this intense pain come and the right upper side of my stomach felt like someone was like stabbing me Mm -hmm. and I will never forget that moment or what that pain felt like. Um, And that was kind of the start to my whole journey with endometriosis. Before that, like I said, I was completely healthy. And then just this intense pain one day that just never went away. Um, so it, it started just really, truly out of the loop
0: and you're just driving. And, and so what did you do after that happened? Were you just like, Oh, maybe it's gas, you know, like just the things that we do. Right. Yeah. And of course that's what I thought at first, but I was on the freeway on my way into a shift
1: at work. So I'm like trying to breathe through it and I'm like, okay, this is not getting better. My commute at the time, my commute was long. So I had a good, like 45 minutes to get myself like together, yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't yeah. happening. And I show up to work and I'm like at my locker, trying to get my stuff together, still trying to just like push through it. And my boss took one look at me and was like, what are you doing? Like you are not working like this. And so you're a nurse her,
0: Were you a nurse I'm, at this point, like going into yeah, uh, like a hospital was, shift, right? Yeah. I was working
1: at UCLA, taking care of patients who had like bone marrow and stem cell transplants for leukemia. So like why in my head, I thought that I was going to be able to work through pain like that. I don't know, but I'm sure you can agree that we tend to push ourselves through things yes. we absolutely could not um, But she wasn't having it and made me go down to the ER. So that was the very first experience of me showing up with this unexplained pain. They run all the tests, everything comes back negative. You know, we all know this story, mm-hmm. and was told to follow up with my PCP. And that kind of started this whole journey of testing and following up and testing and following
0: up. Um, that is just
1: the common the- story with. I know.
0: Was the pain then still consistent and did more symptoms start to pop up after this like first incident? Yeah. So that pain lasted for about four
1: days or so each day it eased up a little bit and then it completely went away. So I forgot about it and kind of went on with my life because like I said, otherwise I was completely healthy. So no issues. And then the next month it came back. Um, Same kind of thing, stayed around for about five days. Then the next month it came back. And then i started noticing that it was coming with my period um so i noticed it was cyclical pain so after about three months of that every single month at the yep. same exact time because my periods were like clockwork i knew to the day when they were coming right. and this pain was starting to show up about two days before my period so i knew my period was coming because of the pain right um yeah so i went to my gyn at the time told her hey i'm having this pain it's on the right upper side of my stomach and at this time this is my absolute only symptom and I said, I know that's a strange spot, but like, could this be related in any way to my period? And she was just like, no, I don't see how those two things could be related and just kind of sent me on my way. And I lived with this cyclical pain for probably about a year, um, just having it come and go and knowing that this was, this was what was going to happen and taking ibuprofen to get through it. Um,
0: and that was that. And just pressing on and just mm-hmm. doing your normal day to day. And so what happened next? Cause the, I'm assuming that, you know, after a year, something else comes along and, and starts to happen. Absolutely. So I
1: end up moving and seeing a new OBGYN and I established care with her. And at this time, there are some other things going on, but I'm not exactly tying it all together with this weird right upper conjure pain. So it's her asking me very specific questions, asking me if I have pain with, with sex, which I said, yes, which was never a thing before. Um, asking me about like, bowel issues. I had really severe constipation that I never, you know, thought much of. I just thought that was just my normal. Um, She asked me, you know, when you're in pain, does it keep you from doing X, Y, Z? And I said, yes to all these things. And so then she asks me, have you ever heard of endometriosis? And I said, no, because at that time I had never heard of it. And so many people are, are surprised to hear that as a nurse, I'd never even heard the word before, but I wasn't taught about it in nursing school. I learned probably so much more about like mother, baby type of GYN stuff than I did about, you know, pelvic pain. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't familiar at all at that time and her telling me what it was and explaining to me how you treat it. And she made it seem like it was something, you know, very common and very simple. And, you know, we just treat it with birth control and ibuprofen and that's just what it is. And so she had no urgency about it. So then I didn't
0: feel like I needed to have any urgency about it, you know, for sure. For sure. And so at that point were you're just like, okay, I'll do what she's directing and we'll see how things go. Like, did you think about maybe like, I should Google this or at that point, no. you're just like, no, I'm just, I'm I just going to. So straightforward. Like yeah, what it is, we treat it with birth control and ibuprofen.
1: You were like, great. You know, I'm like great. Give me the prescription. Send me on my way. Yeah. And I should mention at the time I had already had IUD for like birth control purposes. Okay. So then we gave me birth control pills on top of an IUD. So I'm just like loaded with hormones at
0: this point. And how how were you feeling uh hormone-wise during not great. Not great. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot. A little I always tell the story of like I remember being I went through several different types, which I'm sure you did too. And like I drove by and saw like a cat on a porch and was like crying and I was like, what? why am I crying right now? Like it's, it's not even cold out. Like the cat is fine. (laughs) So
1: I have been there body changes and clothes, not fitting all of that acne, you know, the whole nine yards. And so we're trialing and airing different birth controls. I may have, I tried maybe four or five different ones. And this all happens within the course of like a year that we're, Just trialing and erroring different birth controls, and nothing's getting better. And my pain's getting worse. So, like, it's not just these four or five days anymore with my period, it's becoming more and more days of my month where I just don't feel as well. And it's a pain where I describe it where, like, it would feel like whenever I would try to take a breath, something was stopping me from taking deep breaths. So I couldn't ignore it. It was always there because you have to breathe all day. So <laughs> I was always very aware of it being there. Yeah. It just was like this like intense, like kind of just dull aching. And then when it would flare up, it, it was more of like a sharp pain. And so after this, about a year of trialing and airing birth control pills, um, I had a follow up with a, a new PCP. and same thing. We're kind of going through my whole history and we get to my medications and I'm telling him I start the day with 800 of ibuprofen and so on and so forth. And he's kind of like, well, why? And I'm telling him, you know, I have, they think I have endometriosis. We're not really sure. And so it was actually his suggestion that I see a new GYN to consider having a diagnostic laparoscopy because his thinking as a primary care doctor is if this is not endometriosis, then we need to be figuring out what else this might be. And I was really grateful that he had that, that forward thinking and input and being proactive because I don't know how much longer I would have been on this just trial and error of birth control had he not suggested
0: it. And I was surprised that it was him
1: and not my guy that suggested to get a diagnosis.
0: Super fantastic. It's weird. I believe like divine intervention, like, like sometimes people just come in at the right time and suggest. And so now you're, it's been almost two years since you had that first freeway pain. Now you're probably going a little to over, like, Yes,
1: yeah, a little over a year. And okay.
0: And now it's like pain every
1: day. It's just part of my life now.
0: Right. Uh,
1: So he recommends a diagnostic surgery. I have one with um, a surgeon who specializes in gynecological cancers. Um, My PCP felt like he had the best skill to do a surgery like this. Sure. So he, you know, I see this surgeon, he's lovely. He consents me and kind of gives me this spiel about endometriosis and how we might not find anything at all. So be prepared for that. It may not help your pain at all, even if we do. So be prepared for that. And this is something where we'll likely have to keep redoing repeat surgeries. So I'm going into this thinking, this sounds terrible.
0: <laughs> well, at this point, are you like, okay, this is a little bit more serious than I initially thought. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. Scratch the record. Like the record stops. Like, excuse me, multiple surgeries. What? Yep. Like, yep. yeah, I'm going to be one and done. We would right. move on
1: right. Preparing for like, this is going to be the rest of your life. Right. So I, I scheduled the surgery. I have it. Um, so he tells me that when I wake up from anesthesia, he tells me that everything looked right. He doesn't see anything. Everything looks pristine. And you would think you would be happy about that, but no, not when you think you have endo and you're hoping for answers and validation. So I was devastated, like, Yeah. not this, then what is it? What's wrong with me? But then he happened to take a bunch of biopsies at that surgery. He said that there were some areas that looked a little bit suspicious, not exactly like endo, but to him, they looked suspicious. So he biopsied them just in case. And then he actually called me about two days later and said that one of the biopsies for my diaphragm came back positive for endometriosis.
0: I mean, again, it's not like you want the diagnosis, but that there's so many people who go in for that surgery that are so nervous about exactly what happened to you happening and, mm-hmm. and someone coming out and saying nothing. And thank goodness he did those biopsies. I'm sure that was a call of relief for you. Absolutely. Because without those biopsies, then I would have
1: just been one of those people where they said we looked and there was nothing there. And then I would have just gone on this living, living living your day-to-day life in pain. pain. Yeah. What was wrong with me? So I'm I'm really happy that that came back positive. Um, And then from there, um, my GYN decided to put me on Lupron since we had a confirmatory diagnosis, which... As you know, (laughs) it's like, to me, the devil of all drugs, you know, I'm a little biased to how it made me feel. But, um, so for anyone that doesn't know, Lupron is a drug that was originally FDA approved to treat men with prostate cancer and it suppresses your hormone production and basically puts you into an artificial menopausal state. And the idea is that with less hormone suppression, you won't stimulate the endometriosis and that should relieve symptoms. Um, It was only FDA approved to be on for about a year. So outside of that one year of treatment, there's not really a consensus on what you're supposed to do for your patient once they max out of their one year. I know some doctors off-label will keep patients on it a lot longer, but we don't know the safety profile of doing that. So I would caution anyone whose doctor is suggesting that, that they really do their homework about that piece.
0: Yeah. I think I that's that out there with my nurse hat on. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm so glad that you're a nurse because you explained that so eloquently much better than I would have, but yeah, I do your research is I, I 100% agree with you about anything that you're ever prescribed. Absolutely. So I was supposed to do six months of Lupron. Um, I didn't
1: make it past month three because I felt worse on it than when I wasn't on it. My mood was just horrible, depressed, anxious, angry. And I'm not an angry person at baseline, but like everything irritated me. i was just like losing my, my temper on people that I never would. And, um, on top of that, my pain was worse. So not only did I just feel terrible, but like it wasn't doing the thing it was supposed to do for me, you know? Right.
0: Right. So what happened? So you go off of it, are you still working with this particular doctor or are you thinking maybe you want to explore other options? Yep. Still
1: seeing the same GYN. I'm letting him know, Hey, this pain's getting worse. I'm not getting any better. I feel terrible. Like what can we do? So he refers me to a pelvic pain specialist and I see her and she kind of does her pelvic exam, which was excruciatingly painful. Another symptom that I had that I never realized wasn't normal was painful pelvic exams. They were always painful for me. And that was just what I knew.
0: Totally thought it was normal. Yeah. Totally thought it was normal. normal. had no idea. I had no No idea. idea. You're not supposed to jump off the table and cry after pelvic (laughs) exams, Yeah, (laughs) but here
1: we are. So I see her and she kind of says, you know, if Lupron's not working, I'm not really convinced that this isn't even endometriosis that we're dealing with, even though we have a biopsy confirming that it is. Um, so a lot of gaslighting, essentially no. saying, like, I know your test is saying this and I know you're saying this, but the treatment that I think should work isn't working. So I'm not, I'm not convinced you actually have this disease.
0: How are you doing mentally at this point?
1: Terrible. At this point, I'm not working anymore. I had to take medical leave from work because my symptoms were just so bad that I did not feel confident to like mm-hmm. safely lead a team. I was a nurse manager at the time to lead for a team, care sure. patients. It was just not in anybody's best interest for me to
0: be <laughs> at right. work that Right. So now you're like, wait, one day I was driving and then I got this pain and now I can't go to work. Like, how is this like happening? Mm
1: -hmm. And no clear answers as to like the why, like, I know I have this diagnosis of endomy diaphragm, but nobody was really making it seem like this was a big enough thing to
0: make me feel as terrible as I was feeling. Correct. Yeah. So what did you do next after you saw this pelvic pain specialist?
1: Yeah. So her idea was more hormones, which I just was not interested in. Um, So then at this point, I'm back to my PCP again. And, you know, I'm having shortness of breath, I'm having chest pain, like everything's just compounding and getting worse. And so then her thought is, well, let's cover all of our bases and check for everything and anything under the sun that could cause (laughs) chest pain and shortness of breath to make sure again, that we're not missing anything. Like we know you have diaphragm endo, but let's just make sure. So then that starts the journey of Pulmonologists and interventional radiologists and cardiothoracic surgeons and cardiologists and exercise stress tests and cardiac mm-hmm. catheterizations, like you name it, I had every single test and every single thing was negative, 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 normal, yep, or normal. <laughs> but I know, I I know that I have this endo diagnosis, and I'm thinking sure, like, sure. how could it be anything but this? Like it has to be this, but I think so badly, everyone wanted it to be something else. else. Of
0: course. And you knew like your intuition knew, but you were like, okay, like I trust, I trust all of these people I'm working with. Like, yeah, exactly. And I, and I was at a great healthcare system
1: and I do really see how thorough they were because I know for some people, they don't even get believed enough for someone to even refer them to specialists to do a workup. So I really am happy that we crossed off like everything you possibly could. And we're just left with one thing that it could be. And it was this end on my diaphragm because it wasn't removed. It was just biopsied. So I knew it was still there.
0: There. Yeah. At this point, had you started to dig into like some research or anything to understand like, Oh my goodness, this is all connected all along this
1: way. No, it was when each specialist kept hitting a dead end. When I started to think, okay, this has to be endometriosis. And then I started re- researching diaphragmatic endometriosis and thoracic endometriosis a bit more. And so when we reached our, we don't know what to tell you, that was basically how it ended. It was like, I don't know what's wrong yeah. with you and pain management, that's the best we can do. That's when I finally started researching on my own. And,
0: and then did you have like your aha moment at that point? Like, wow, all of these things, are all related?
1: Yes, but I also found that the things that I was finding was so everything was kind of inconsistent, like nothing yeah. matched, and a lot of it was very outdated. And I found that very strange that I couldn't find like research articles that were like specific to diaphragmatic endometriosis or anything current really at all. And I found that really surprising. So then I started looking for books about endometriosis. I said, okay, I can't find journal articles, so like let me see if I can read up on this. And I found a book by Dr. Andrew Cook, um, which was really great, kind of like an endo 101. and it was a good starter. Cause it gave me just like my foundation of truly understanding the disease from a patient perspective. Sometimes I need to take off my nurse hat and like,
0: just, be- I'm sure that's <laughs> challenging too. I'm sure because like you probably think in a very clinical way and it's, you know, that's right. gotta be challenging. Right. Right.
1: It is. And it's helpful sometimes, but other times it's not because then I'm like, some, it, sometimes it causes me to overthink because yeah, I, know sure. yeah. <laughs> I know too much. Yeah. I know too much. Sometimes I wish I didn't know anything. Um, so in um, Andrew Cook's book, I found resources at the back. And one was Nancy's Nook for Endometriosis. And then I ended up on the Nook and was like, oh my God, what is this place? This is amazing. Mm-hmm. And just spent like hours reading people's submissions and going through the files. And that was the very first time that I learned about excision surgery endometriosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that changed everything.
0: Yes. And so then what was your next you Now you're like, okay, I'm armed with knowledge. I've, I've done all this research. Let's mm-hmm. go. Like now yeah. you're, you're like, okay, I know what's up and I need know what I need to do.
1: That's exactly it. And I knew that's what, what I needed. I spoke to a lot of other women who had very similar symptoms to me from a thoracic perspective, because that was hard to find people that were having like the shortness of breath and the right upper quadrant pain and shoulder blade pain. It was like this strange constellation that not many people have. And so I finally found a pretty large group of, of, other people who were having these same symptoms. And I noticed that they were all going to the same center for surgery center for endometriosis care in Atlanta. And I'm like, why is everybody going to Atlanta? Like, what is it about this place? So then I researched about them and find that they're a specialty center. And this is the first time I'm learning that that even exists. Like I had no idea that that endometriosis was a specialization because, you know, it doesn't have its own designated specialty, but there are people who specialize in it.
0: For sure. Especially if you don't have somewhere locally or like in your state that you would have the awareness, right? Like why would you know that? Right. You just assume that if you're seeing a good GYN, that's, that's good enough. Right. For sure. For sure.
1: So I researched the center for endometriosis care. I emailed them in the middle of the night on a Saturday. (laughs) I'm like, like, here's what's going on. These are all the tests I have. Can you help me? And Dr. Sinervo, and I will never forget this. He replied to me a couple hours later and was like, I've seen patients like you so many times. I think we can help you. And I just remember feeling so relieved just from that email interaction.
0: Yes, I I'm sure. And so then I'm assuming you went there and had surgery.
1: Yeah. So I went there for my initial exam because I really felt like I don't want to do this again and I don't want to get this wrong. So I need to really make sure this is where, where I should be going. And right. even though they do offer a free like records review and call you and go over a consult, I just felt like I needed to be in front of them to like one, see me and how bad I was. For sure. Um, and two, to just like, make sure we were making the right decision. Yeah, And I had my exam there and they had like no doubt that i had you know diaphragm involvement and likely a bunch of other places based on symptoms that i shared yeah. and then during that exam it was the first time anybody ever mentioned pelvic floor dysfunction to me and it was the first time anybody ever mentioned that i likely had adenomyosis as well so i left there went there with what i thought was one diagnosis and left with possibly three you know right. three diagnoses
0: which i'm sure part of that was a relief but also probably very overwhelming and like you're traveling and you're again, this it's kind of transpired over a couple of years, but you went from very healthy to you're traveling to meet a doctor out of state because there's a center for this thing that you, that we all hardly know what the word even is. I mean, I'm sure that was overwhelming, but also comforting at the same time.
1: Yeah, definitely. i left there and my husband now, but boyfriend at the time, we just both felt like this just feels right. Like yeah, the energy of the space, just how confident they felt about what they were doing it mm-hmm. for the first time. Didn't feel like I was having to convince anyone yeah, that I, I thought so. this was, was going on. They just knew, and they felt so confident in that. And that made me feel so confident in them. So after that, it was just a countdown to like getting the surgery done because they had to coordinate with the multiple multidisciplinary team, because since they thought I had diaphragmatic disease, we had to have a thoracic surgeon on board. And then a general surgeon on standby, because my bowel symptoms I was explaining made him think that I could have pretty severe bowel disease. So we had to coordinate to make sure all the surgeons were available. So I had a three month wait from when I did my initial consult to surgery. So I was literally counting down the days on a tearaway calendar.
0: I'm sure. Yeah. Because you (laughs) probably were feeling awful and it was getting progressively worse and you're just like, let's get this done.
1: Yeah. My days were spent in bed all day long. Um, I had terrible pain insomnia. So I was up all night in pain and then I'd sleep until about three in the afternoon. I'd get up around four, have dinner and just kind of start my, that was my day. I just existed just
0: shuffling through my day in pain. I'm so sorry. So you have surgery. I have
1: surgery, um, and I hear the news that was like music to my ears that did find endometriosis very, very extending my diaphragm and many other places. It was in my, um, sigmoid colon, my utero sacral ligaments, my cul-de-sac, a little bit on my bladder. It was, it was all over. Yeah. And I was so relieved to learn that.
0: And they excised it, removed it. Excised it, removed it.
1: I recover. Yeah. It was a long recovery, especially from the um, thoracic portion, because that had to do that, they have to like go through your ribs and it's a whole thing and put in a chest tube. So that is a very, it's a high risk and very complicated procedure. And I don't think that many people think about that or realize that when we're going in for these surgeries, that these surgeries are, are high risk surgeries. These endolesions are near like major blood vessels and organs. So like it's not just a small thing, you know, it's, it's a big deal going into these surgeries. So recovery was a big deal as well.
0: I mean, I hear doctors tell people all the time, Oh, two weeks, you'll feel better. And I look and say, you know, I had a bowel uh, obstruction from endo. And so I had part of my bowel removed and I didn't feel well for eight months. Like I I wasn't fully recovered and not that I want to scare anyone, but to your point of these are major serious surgeries and they have depending on what's found and where they work and how long the surgery is, they can have a long recovery time. Now I wasn't off work for eight months, but I was, I didn't feel like myself for a long time after that surgery. I'm sure you felt the same way, especially because with a chest tube and they have to, you know, cut into the side of your like front (laughs) and side of your body. Right. So that's a painful area to, to have someone cut into. Yes. And
1: then what I didn't expect was afterwards, like, you know, once all the endo was removed, so many of my muscles were just so dysfunctional because they were carrying a burden. They were never supposed to carry by trying to overcompensate for all the areas that were weak in my body. So I had this weird way that I would sit in pain. So like my whole spine was out of alignment. My shoulder slumped forward. Um, my hips were out of alignment. Everything was just a mess. Yeah. Uh, so I had to go to physical therapy for a very long time to get everything working the way that it was supposed to.
0: Yeah. And then once you start to get down this road, how are you, how are you feeling at this point? Cause I know there's, there's more that's coming down the pipeline here, but after a I'm couple of months. Right? Yeah. But... I'm feeling amazing. The pain's gone. I don't feel that
1: at all anymore. Shortness of breath is gone. Um, my insomnia is gone. My brain fog has
0: gone. I just feel like myself again. Oh, amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. But then yeah. something happened next. So how long were you feeling well for? And then what was, what was the next step in this journey? Yeah.
1: So at the time of my surgery, Dr. never had suspected that I had adenomyosis and we had to come up with a game plan of if I find it, what would you like oh. me to do about it? And at that time I'm 29, not engaged, not even thinking about kids. So the idea of just saying like, let's just do the hysterectomy just was a felt a little bit intense to me, yeah. even though I know that's a cure for adenomyosis. So we went a little bit more of a conservative route um, by placing another IUD and then doing what's called a presacral neurectomy where they sever the nerves that send pain signals to your uterus in hopes that you at least like don't feel pain and vice some time.
0: okay
1: And that worked for about six months. I didn't have any kind of pain, any, anything. And then around six months, all these very familiar things start creeping up again, but it was very different than what endo felt like for me. So a lot of people do have both and it's hard sometimes to know the symptoms that are overlapping what's what, mm-hmm. but I find that a lot of people after excision surgery that also have adenomyosis, then the adeno is left to be on like full
0: display and it becomes very clear what's left. Yeah. Yeah. You too. <laughs> yeah. But also so this, like, yeah. hi, I'm here, and you're like, yeah. I just had excision surgery. What is going on? Yeah, go away. No one yeah. needs us right now. <laughs> well, and for people so- who are listening, could you describe like what for me it's like a he- it was more of like heaviness and like sciatic yeah. pain, and yeah. I think it would be helpful because it is so hard to differentiate.
1: Mm-hmm. This felt so different. Then my endo, and I think because my diaphragm was so affected before, I don't even think my mind had the capacity to, to even acknowledge the other pain. And once the diaphragm pain was gone, it it was like, here we are, pay attention to us. So for me, it was this very intense, deep pain in my groin on the right side, specifically lower back my hips. um, And then I had pain with sex pain, like spasms with bowel movements. And then bloating really, really bad bloating Mm
0: -hmm.
1: inflammation body-wide because it's an inflammatory disease. So like when I was flaring, my like whole abdomen and hips would be on fire, like so warm. And then that brain fog that kind of comes from that inflammatory process. So I was having that again and just, again, just slowly just feeling just bad, you know, and I knew what it was because that's all that was. You already
0: had the diagnosis. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So. What did you do?
1: Yeah. So I had to make the decision of, again, I'm not married, not engaged. And it's like, okay, well, I don't even know if I want children, but I'm getting sick very quickly. And that the idea of spending time trying to figure out egg freezing and all of that before I move forward with surgery just wasn't a realistic option. I was getting to the point of not being able to work again. It was getting that bad. Yeah. So I had to make the decision of, moving forward with the hysterectomy, it was a very difficult decision, Um, but I'm glad that I did it because it gave me my life back again. (laughs) Um, My pathology did come back. I had adenomyosis and then same thing after that, pain completely gone, but a lot of muscle dysfunction. Like I, I forgot to mention leading up to my hysterectomy, I was getting steroid injections all over the place to try to just like salvage and compensate for my muscle dysfunction. So I would get them in my glutes, um, I had a psoas injection. I, I would get them everywhere, and just to try to like buy some time and do whatever I could. Right. And ultimately,
0: you know, my my uterus
1: was diseased, so ultimately nothing nothing was really working.
0: Okay, yeah. Um. And so you feel better after that. And I know uh, you know there's some other chronic things that you have going on. I don't know if we want to touch or go down any of those roads, or if, you know, we just want to briefly mention those. And because I'd love to get into chatting about your book in the, in the movie and all, or the documentary, but so you feel better endo wise, but some other things start to creep up in this time, or was it a couple of years?
1: Yeah, it was kind of in this time. I would say the main one, we'll just stick to the ones related to the endo and adeno was Mm -hmm. SIBO, which is small intestine bacterial overgrowth. Mm -hmm. Um, That started a little bit after my excision, but again, same thing, the symptoms of it look like can look like adeno. So we, did, I didn't really know what was what, so it was intense bloating. I would have like really bad constipation, just, um, trouble with food. I would get really full really quickly because of the bloating. Yeah. And then once I had all these surgeries and got rid of everything and the bloating kept coming back randomly, it wasn't, it didn't have any like cycle to it, it would just be random. I'd wake up with a flat stomach. And then the next minute it was full like of air so distended and hard and painful and like this cramping type of pain in my stomach and ultimately I I was ended up being diagnosed with small intestine bacterial overgrowth which happens to be very common in people with endometriosis Uh, my GI explained it as it was likely due to like adhesions and slow motility from having endo and surgeries and all these things so that was kind of a battle for like a good year of trying to find a doctor that understood it. Cause it's another one of those things that's not really understood very well. Right. Um, and getting on the right treatment protocol, the right diet. And I can finally say <laughs> that I have that under control.
0: Good. And so how, are you, how are you feeling? How are you feeling today? Like today we're recording this podcast. I feel
1: good. Today is a great day. Good. Um,
0: I, I ended up being
1: diagnosed with some autoimmune issues with lupus last May. And I do know that we are seeing studies that show that there is a correlation between autoimmune diseases and people mm-hmm. with endometriosis. So I know I'm not the only one who ends up with something else down yeah. the line. And that was a little bit of a blow because I thought I was done with all this. I'm so um, sorry. But I can't say I'm surprised. I know I'm not, like I said, I know I'm not the only one between like fibromyalgia and MCAS and POTS and, you yes. know, LF-Sanlose. There's so many overlapping things that so many of us have. And whether it's because of endo or we're just more prone from what our body's gone through, nobody knows yet because we don't have enough research funding. We'll talk about that another time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that could be a whole separate show. But yeah, yeah. I agree. I have Hashimoto, so, okay. and I was diagnosed with that after my endo diagnosis. So, also, don't know chicken or the egg. I think a lot of it. Ha- Again, I'm not a medical professional, but I think just the inflammation causes other things and our immune systems are like, whoa, what's going on here? And so, yeah, well, I'm glad that you're, you're feeling well today. And I appreciate you sharing all of that with everyone and all of the listeners. I want to get into chatting about part of you, not all of you, because you have been through a lot. Um, and we haven't even talked about all of your surgeries, but go follow Jenna and we'll get to how you can follow her. So you can hear everything that she's really been through, but I, Love this. So tell me a little bit about like how you came up with this. So her book, it, it's there's a lot of inspiring messages, but it also gives you space and time to journal. And there's a couple pages I want to call out. But I want to hear you know this for me. It was like it resonated with me, and I also felt like emotional going through it just because I'm like these are some things that I need to to deal with because I haven't. So there there that's how I felt when I saw it. Like this is going to be so healing for so many people to just write out a lot of the things that we've all been through with having either chronic, any type of chronic illness, but specifically endometriosis. So how did this come to, how did this come to light?
1: Yeah, first of all, thank you for the kind words about the book. It like makes my heart so
0: happy that it took you there. (laughs) Um, It did. I mean, I haven't written anything, but I was reading through it and I was like, oh, this is gonna take me there. Like I can tell, (laughs) going there. Yeah, so So journaling for me has always been like a staple. just to help me
1: process thoughts and emotions, feelings, good, bad, all of it. And I journaled a ton through all of my journeys with all these different diagnoses and health issues. And actually in the beginning of COVID, I was bored like everybody else was. And um, my main journal that I've kept since my my very first like endo experience, and it goes through like the years all the way up until today, I decided to just read through it. And I was so amazed by just the things that I went through and how I process and like my resiliency through it and how much I'd grown and the things that I still needed to work on. Mm-hmm. And I realized like I had so many different journals and a bunch of guided ones, like one for faith. I'm a Christian. So I had this like devotional type journal I'd use for that. And then I had this one for self care that would prompt me for that. I was like, why don't we have anything like specific for people with chronic illnesses to help like really address some of these layers of things because journaling can be, I think a bit overwhelming to just like write about whatever. I think it's <laughs> nice
0: to have some direction. Yeah. yeah, A
1: little bit of the, a direction. So I started looking to see if anything like that existed and it didn't, everything I was finding was like symptom tracking, medication management, which is great. We need yeah. that, but I couldn't find anything about the psychosocial psychological aspects of life with chronic illness. Yeah. And then I also, you know, I share so much of my journey and I do believe that storytelling is a really important part of healing and, and journeying with people through really difficult things, but I didn't feel like the world needed another memoir. Um, so I didn't want to go in that direction either. I knew I wanted to write a book. Um, the pandemic kind of sparked this creative bug in me to want to, to want to like, just do it. I had the time. Let's just do it. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to write a journal. Like, I feel like we need one. There isn't one. So I'm going to do this, but I don't want it to just be pages of a thousand questions that you feel bad about
0: yourself for not finishing because. (laughs) (laughs) I laugh because I'm very guilty. of that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I really wanted to put it into a format that didn't feel too intimidating or overwhelming Mm -hmm. and kind of gave you the space to decide how you wanted to interact with it where it was digging deep or just like get an inspiring word or just an affirmation for the day just whatever you were feeling that day I wanted to ha- to let you decide how you yeah. wanted to use the book yeah
0: I, I I really I really enjoyed it there's a lot of like great just quotes but also story like stories but like one or two pages from Jenna about your experience which I enjoyed and just like how you have gone through the past several years and what you're dealing with. And I just, I felt like for me as an endo patient, it was just so relatable. I mean, I think the one thing that I've noticed in interviewing hundreds of people for this podcast about their endo story is people with endo are the strongest, like hardest working. Like I really resonate when you were like, I'm a list maker. I check off the list. I work the hardest. I I would work through this pain and do that. And, and all like, I'm just so busy. And I would just push through the pain. And a lot of people I talk to on this show are similar in that way, where I think where this journal will really help people who are listening, um, is we all need to slow down and take better care of ourselves too. And I think going through the pandemic, that's been a huge lesson for me personally. I had no idea how fast I was moving. And my goodness, of course, I'm still in pain all the time because I was literally like on a plane every day or running here, running there, stressed about work. And I never took any time for myself. I was always doing things for everybody else and never thought about myself. And I did resonate because you mentioned that in here too. So how do you feel like you've, you've changed and like through this process in journaling, slowing down and like having different shifting your perspective. And I know you mentioned like gratitude every morning I write down three things I'm grateful for, even if I'm having a rough day and it could be, I'm so grateful of have a washing machine because then I, can you imagine if I had to wash all my clothes by hand? Like, I know that seems silly, but on the days when you don't feel good, there's no way you would be able to do that. So I I'd love to hear like what your, your lessons really have been. And maybe even from putting this together, like. Yeah. I need to slow down. Yeah. Well, I've
1: always needed to to slow down my whole life. I've needed to slow down, but I've been forced to slow down so many times. Yes. And that is a lot different than choosing to slow down. And so being forced to slow down came with just a lot of feelings and emotions and grief about the things that I was losing in the process, which, um, I didn't realize how important it was to, to work through that, just that kind of idea of loss of self identity. And who are, who am I now? And what do I like based on what I actually can do now? Mm-hmm. It was a complete paradigm shift of how I viewed life and how I viewed my life and how I viewed relationships and work. What did work mean to me? Why did it take up so much of my life? It's not that important at the end of the day, really just like getting perspective, you know, on yeah. what mattered and what didn't. So I think that sometimes I feel like some of us had an advantage over others, with the pandemic that we kind of had these instances where we were forced to do this at times. So we had a little bit of practice, (laughs) but um, the pandemic I think allowed for a lot more of us to to be a little bit more introspective. Like you said, about how we're using our time, what we're grateful for. And it does seem like a small thing, like, oh, gratitude, whatever kind of eye roll, because we're all about this like self-care or self-love movement. And it can seem a little bit like foo-foo sometimes, but it really- to really take inventory, especially when it feels like so many things are going wrong in your life of the things that are going right. I think it's so important to make space to do that, to be able to just have a little bit of hope in in something. You know,
0: I am, uh, there's two things you said too in the book. Like I always remind myself when I'm comparing myself to someone who I can't keep up with, that comparison is the thief of joy. Like I always, and I know you mentioned that too. but I, I'm still kind of, I get anxious with certain situations and I'm sure there's a lot of things that I still need to deal with with everything that I've been through with this disease and just life in general. We all do, right? We all have stuff. Everybody has stuff, right? But I think with chronic illness, there's a lot that I think we, you, for example, you were like on this path and you were like, I got to do this next, this, this, this. We don't have time as like chronic illness warriors to process a lot of that. And so there is some time after that you need to process, but going back to gratitude. So sometimes I feel like that's why I'm a little anxious. I still probably haven't processed things, but every time this is my long story of getting to this point, every time I think of all of the things that I do have or how grateful I am for my husband, it literally squashes any anxiety. And I know that again, also sounds like you said like a little woo or whatever, but it, it really has changed my life. It really, really works. If I just take a couple deep breaths and like, I'm so lucky that I have this wonderful husband and that I have a shelter and that I could access this care and that I can afford acupuncture to help me with my pain. And it literally shuts it down. Like immediately, like I feel myself calm down. So there is something to it. Yeah. It does does
1: that for me too. And I think that sometimes all of this can feel so overwhelming that something that simple sounds like there's no way that's gonna work or help, but I encourage everyone to give it a try.
0: I agree. I fully, fully agree. Um, okay. Let's talk about the the below the belt documentary. You're the narrator. It's coming out. Anything you want to say or probably no spoilers so everyone can see it, but, but how was being a part of that process?
1: It was interesting because I was going through it while I was still recovering and processing what had all just happened to me. And so I was like, sad and angry, more angry than sad I think just of like how did we get here and how is this happening and why is this whole system so unfair for patients with endometriosis. Yeah. I think the film is so important in highlighting just all of the different barriers mm-hmm. to access to care because I don't think most people outside of our world realize that it's so much more than just your doctor not understanding what endometriosis is. Yeah. There are systems in place that are literally keeping us from moving forward. It's really unfair. And I think that the world, if the world knew how how unfair it was, I think more people would be angry with us. And hopefully that evokes action and moving forward. So that's my hope that this film just gets people to care the way yeah. that we all care.
0: Yeah. I think it's so important. I think it's such an important message. And I, I agree with you. First off, people don't understand how serious and how much it affects our day-to-day life because of the gross lack of awareness about what this disease is and how it affects us. Um, and then the systems, like you said, which are not helping us move forward. I, I hear saying, I've been dealing with this for 25 years. I'll interview someone on the show who I was told something that I was told 25 years ago, the same thing, how have we not made progress? So that's like when my anger starts to come out too. Is like I will not allow this to happen to the next generation. This is not happening. We deserve better. Like yeah. I get super fired up. So, well, I I'm really excited to see it and your narration of it. Um, what about Endo Coalition? Do you want to just give us a little chat about that? Where can we we find yeah. it and, sure. and what are you so- working on? Yeah, the EnderCo, we, we're working on a lot right now. So we
1: have plans to start in um, an online support group so that people have an opportunity to meet other people with endometriosis. We feel like that's something that's really missing in the space. And then we are also working on an excision grant for um, to help out people with, with surgery down payments. So we're, we're hard at work <laughs> to try to make the things that we know are helpful, more accessible to our community.
0: Absolutely amazing. That's wonderful. And then anything else you want to add? Did we miss anything? Anything you want to say to the community? I mean, people are listening that are just starting in the middle, at the end, all over the place um, within this cycle of of this unfortunate disease.
1: Yeah, I just want to say that, you know, this disease is, is really hard and it's really difficult to live with, to navigate, but there is such a strong sense of community of people that understand and can help point you in the right direction. And so please don't hesitate to reach out to strangers on the internet because that's what saved my life quite literally. And we're all here and ready and willing to help you get to the
0: other side with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for saying that. And where can people find you if they want to plug, plug the social medias, tell us all all the places, where can we find you?
1: Yeah. You can find me on Instagram. That's my main area of, you know, engaging with the community at life above underscore illness. And then for updates about what I have going on, you can go to my website at jennariche.com and then all things, the endometriosis coalition can be found on our, our website, www.theendo.co
0: and I will link everything in the show notes, including your book. What is the official release date? I I'm very VIP for all the listeners. <laughs> I have an advanced copy, so don't be jealous. So when, June, when can we buy this?
1: June 7th. It's available for pre-order right now, which okay. pre-orders are very important. So, you know, those are very
0: helpful for me, but, uh, June 7th, it will be available everywhere books are sold. Awesome. Sounds great. So it's part of you not all of you, which the subject line speaks to my heart. It's a good reminder to subject line title, but it's a good reminder to all of us of, it's just a part of us. It's not all of us. So Jenna, thank you so much for sharing everything and being here. And honestly, all you do for the community, you make a huge impact. And I know it's so greatly appreciated.
1: Thank you. It was so great to chat with you. Thanks for having me.
0: thank you so much for listening to this episode I really appreciate your support listening in and all of your positive feedback it means so much to me if you'd like to leave a review I'd really appreciate it if you could do that on apple Podcasts. that helps us get more guests helps us get higher search ranking and I just really appreciate all of that good feedback because it helps people discover the cycle podcast Also, if you want to keep the conversation going, please join the Facebook group. There is the link in the show notes, and it's just a group, a very small group of people who listen to the podcast and guests who have been on the podcast if you want to further the conversation. And lastly, this podcast is not a replacement for medical advice or treatment, so always have to put that disclaimer in there. Please always, always talk to your doctor. And thank you so much for listening, supporting the cycle. It means everything to me. And I just hope that this is helping you and you're feeling okay today. Thank you again.